2,000 years ago, when, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, when God was walking among us, it wasn't the religious extremists that killed him. It wasn't the atheists that put him on the cross. It was not the worshipers of, of Zeus that found pitchforks and torches and called for his death. It was church people. It was prayer, praying, offering, giving, Bible reading, church people. Ever thought about that? that? That's crazy. That would be like Jesus coming to earth today and he could have lunch with the leaders of ISIS and he'd be fine. And he can have coffee with the, the president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation and he'd be fine. And then he comes to church and we kill him. It makes me wonder what in the world would cause a person like you people like us, to kill God. You know, I was paging through the, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus in the Bible the other day, looking for an answer to that question. What in the world would cause religious people, Bible-reading people, to, to kill God? And, and I think I came up with the answer. If I could boil all the arguments, all the tension, all the drama down to just one word, the word would be Authority. And that's fascinating to me because when I think about our culture today, our, our world today, there are a few things that are greatly debated more than authority. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who gets the last word? In fact, I, I found this chart that uh, Google Books put together and I found out that even the, the use of the word authority since the year 1800 has, has plummeted. It doesn't show up in, in books and publications and writings as much as it used to. And, and those of you who are a little bit older, you've You've experienced that trend, haven't you? It used to be Mr. President, no matter who was in the office. Oof, those days are long gone. It used to be the people on your block who were a little bit older, whether they were your parents or not, they could discipline you and tell you what to do. Those days are long gone. It used to be institutions that had power and authority. Well, those days are so long gone. The idea of outside authority has been toppled in the past few years. From presidents and pastors and politicians and parents, authority and truth has gone from out there to in here, to me, myself, and I. The, the authority has changed hands, so to speak. But tonight, I just don't want to vent, you know, about what's happening out there in the world, in culture. I'm curious because the same thing happens in here. Sometimes if you actually read the teachings of Jesus, you'll find out that you don't always agree. In fact, I'm not sure if I should admit this as a pastor, but sometimes when I read the things that Jesus taught, I want to say, really? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you do more than like pick and choose the, the hallmark verses out of the Gospels, you will find out that Jesus taught some offensive things. And you want to say, Jesus, really? I, I feel that way personally about what Jesus taught about divorce. You know, Jesus said when when God joins two people together into one flesh, there are very, very, very few reasons for the rest of their life that they should ever end that marriage. And, and as a pastor, I've been with people, I've, I've wept with people who maybe haven't done those few things, but like th things have fallen apart and the affection is gone. And it, I don't know, it, to me, it just seems best if we learn from the experience and move on. I, I want to say, Jesus, are, are you sure? 
or what Jesus said about forgiveness, I, I still know about that. Jesus told the story once that if someone hurts you, if they sin against you, if they break your confidence, if they, if they gossip about you, if, if they're just cruel to you, you, you shouldn't just forgive them once or twice or seven times. Jesus said, 77 times, 70 times, seven times. And then he went on to tell a story that if you don't, like if you pay those people back, even if they deserve it, that God's going to show up one day and, and torture you as punishment. And I want to say, really? Like, Jesus, I've, I've been there and I've, I've seen what sin does to people. You you say that they should forgive so completely that like that's, that's the only other option besides forgiving? Really? Like if, if you actually listen to my advice and you decide to read the Bible and, and read all of it, you, you're going to find passages that offend you and shock you and you disagree with. In fact, some of you have been reading the Old Testament with me for the past few months at our church and we've been there, haven't we? Where you just say, wow, that's supposed to be God's, I'm supposed to agree with that? And it could be a lot of things. It could be what Jesus taught about creation, that God created this world, that there was an Adam and an Eve and every single human being is descended from them. It could be what he taught about gender or about marriage or about sexuality. It could be what he said about money or words or authority. It could be what he said about how you should treat your parents or your enemies. There's going to be something that, that just bothers you so much. You're either going to want to skip it or you're going to want to change it. So what do you do uh, when that happens? When you and Jesus both can't have the last word, what, what do you do and, and what do you think? So let's wrestle with that together as we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to start today with verse 27. It says, They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? So here these guys confront Jesus and they want to talk about authority. And do you know the men who are asking him the question? The, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now those are the three big groups that combine together to make up the ultimate authority in the early church called the Sanhedrin, like the, the Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, the, the chief priests included like the high priest who was like the, the pastor over all of Israel, any retired high priest, and then prominent members of their family. They'll kind of be like the, maybe the preaching pastor at a church and the other pastors on staff and the people who worked at the church. Th these are people who lived in Jerusalem. They worked at the temple. This was their home turf. Then add to that the teachers of the law. Ever heard of the Pharisees before? like the, the religious scholars of Jesus, they lived, they lived all over Israel. But like the valedictorians, the all-star Pharisees, were chosen to be teachers of the law. And they were the only Pharisees that lived down in Jerusalem. They were the brightest of the bright when it came to studying the scriptures. In our day, these might be like the professors at a, at a Bible college or a seminary. And then there were the, the elders who didn't work at the church and they didn't, they didn't preach and teach sermons. They were just like movers and shakers and, and big names in the congregation. Ever known someone like that in a church? Like, they don't preach, they don't teach, but when they speak, you know, people listen to her and people follow them and their family's been at the church forever. And you put these three groups together, the chief priests, like the pastors, the teachers, the teachers of the law, like the professors, and the elders, the movers and shakers, and they gather together and they say, Jesus, 
what right do you have? I mean, you show up in our church, in our city, where we're supposed to be the teachers. Who gave you the authority to do this? And it's actually a really great question. Because if you know much about the, the life of Jesus, you know that he has no right from an earthly perspective to do this. He's not a chief priest. He's not even a priest. He doesn't live in Jerusalem and work in Jerusalem. He's from a, a carpentry shop in some hick town up north in Galilee. He's not even from the right family tribe where the priest came from. He's from the line of Judah and not from Levi. He, he has no authority to do this. He's not a teacher of the law. I mean, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they studied their entire lives memorizing the Bible. They had the, the diplomas and the awards. Jesus, he, he shows up one day, he walks out of the carpentry shop with calluses on his hands and he just starts preaching. He doesn't have a diploma. He doesn't have the credentials. And an elder, <laughs> Jesus was younger than I am when this happened. The, the elders of Israel had underwear that were older than Jesus. And so they ask him, like, what? Who do, you think, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to come here and do this? Honestly, it's a good question. And, and here's Jesus' answer. It says in verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Do you know much about John, John the Baptist? He was Jesus' cousin. And John, if you read the Bible, he was, he was weird. <laughs> okay? And if you have a weird cousin, yeah, anyone in the room want to admit to that? Hopefully your cousin isn't watching this online and thinking, hey, you weren't talking about me, were you? <laughs> the, the Bible says that John like, lived out in the wilderness, like out in the woods, and he ate bugs for breakfast and he would not be caught dead wearing skinny jeans. And John... He was, he was brash and he was blunt and he was brutal and he'd point this bony finger at people and he would say, repent, confess your sins, be baptized, and have your sins washed away. God knows you need it. And like the fire and brimstone would, would, would be enough as it was, but you see, John didn't just say that to like the prostitutes and the greedy tax collectors. You know who he said that to? Church people. Right, the, the scholars would come after worship and he'd point a finger at them and he says, you, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways, God in, in heaven, he is sharpening his axe and he's going to cut you down and throw you into the fires of hell. That's what John said. And Jesus said, so what do you think? Was John from God? Should you have listened to him? Or was he just my crazy cousin? <laughs> you see, in, in John's teaching, the line between good and bad, between good people and evil people, was not drawn like we want to draw it at the heels of Hitler. It's not like, well, I'm not a terrorist and I haven't done that to a, a, a little kid, so I, I must be a good person. No, no, John, if you'd read the Bible, he, he said that if, if you could eat so much that you just felt so full you were sick and then you throw out the leftovers and you don't give anything to the poor? John would say you're evil. And he, said, he actually said if you had two tunics, like if you had two outfits to wear and there's someone who doesn't have any, 
we might say if you have so many clothes, like the, the hangers don't fit and you have to shove the drawers just to get them shut and, and you don't give anything to those who don't have a change of clothes in your community, you are evil. And John would, would say, if you're not content with your pay, if God's given you a job and you just grumble that you don't make enough money, you're evil. And if you don't pay what you owe to the government in, in taxes, you know, you want to fudge the numbers and stretch the truth and forget to report what, what you owe them, he says, that, that's evil. And he said, if, if you have a business and you try to get more from people than you really should, if you treat them in a way financially you would not want to be treated, you're evil. John would say the hooker on the corner is evil and the judgmental pastor is evil. He'd say your worst enemy, the most vile terrorist, and your grandmother and best friend are evil and they need to repent. And if they don't, they will be separated from God for all eternity. And so Jesus' question for, for people like us was, what do you think? What do you think about that? Was he crazy? Fire and brimstone, old school, forgetting about God? Or was he right? Was he sent from God with God-given authority? Here's how they answered Jesus' question. Verse 31. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. know, They put their big hats together in a a not-so-holy huddle and they realize they're stuck. Say that John was right and they have to admit that they were wrong, that they abused their authority, that God was right and they needed to change. But say that John was crazy and they lose their earthly authority because people love John and thought he was sent from God. And so what do they do? They, they punt. They, they plead the fifth. They, they dodge the question. They refuse to admit that Jesus could actually be right and they could be wrong. And I can only imagine the expression on Jesus' face when he says, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. They realized that Jesus would not let them have the last word. And so three days later on that Friday that we call good, they, they found nails and they murdered God. What a warm and fuzzy scripture. But it, but it begs the question, since many of us are, are church people, what, what would we do? Or what, what do we do when... When Jesus flips us and he pins us and he corners us and he won't let us dodge the question and he says, what do you think? What do we do? Maybe we could picture it like this. Let's imagine that this stool is the seat of authority and whoever sits here gets the last word. And kind of by nature, you know, we all have an opinion about something. We all, we all assume that we, we kind of know right and wrong. This come where we're born in this position of authority. But then someone comes along and they're carrying that book and they claim that we might be wrong about something. It might be about our our view of sexuality or of marriage or money or words or repentance or how to treat someone who hurts us. It could be about anything. And they say that Jesus isn't cool if we agree to disagree. That Jesus says we're sitting in a seat and he'd like it back. 
And you find out there's not quite enough room here for you and Jesus. Only one person gets to, gets to sit here. What, what do you do? You know the challenging part? <laughs> Is that when someone confronts you like that, they're probably going to be a lot like John. They're going to be weird. Maybe it happens when a, when a kid is bold enough to talk to his parents about the way they use the family money. A kid who's actually reading the Bible and Jesus' love for the poor. And he says, you know, Dad, we're, we're spending thousands of dollars on another family vacation and I, I don't know, I've never seen us give anything to those in need. We can't go to church and pray, you know, give us our daily bread and then like not care about the us. We can't spend money like this. It might be the grandkid, the, the friend who confronts racism or, or sexism in their family, who, who says, you know, Grandpa, the way you talk about black people, Mexican people, immigrants, you, you make it sound like they're a mistake and that God messed up. You, you, can't, you can't claim to follow God and care about his will and talk like that. Maybe it happens when, when two guys sit down at the bar for a, a beer and, and one of them, you know, says, hey, man, I, I love you, but every time we get together, you vent about, about your boss, about your brother. How can you claim to love being forgiven by God, but you, it just seems like you don't want to forgive and give what you've received? And what happens in those moments? I'll tell you what happens. You'll know exactly why the church people murdered God. There will be something that appears in your heart, just like my heart, that will be so defensive, it will reach for any weapon it can find to silence that voice so it doesn't confront us again. But today, I want to ask you, now I want to beg you to give this seat up to Jesus. And not just because of the, the logic of it, that, he, that he's God and we're not, that he might maybe in his eternal existence have figured things out better than we have. Not just the logic. I'm going to give you two reasons why when you disagree with him, why, why when it seems wrong, it doesn't seem right, and someone confronts you for your lifestyle, that you should give up the seat of authority and willingly die to the last word. Now, these two reasons are so important. I want you to write them down. Here, here's the first one. Because of the law. Out of your own self-interest, to, to not submit to Jesus' authority is spiritual suicide. But you know that from an earthly perspective, right? If, if I was driving in my car and I'm smoking meth and I got a 40 and a paper bag in my hand and I'm driving with, with my knees and taking selfies at the same time and I get pulled over, I, I can't say to the officer, well, you know, agree to disagree. <laughs> You know, that, that's your law, but I have my law. This might be the truth in the state of Wisconsin, but I have my truth in my heart. You think that's going to work? I think it can, but, but the law is over me and I live under it whether I accept that in the moment or not. So, so what do you think happens with God? He said, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Like, come on, Jesus says, eternity is a long time and I'm coming back to judge the living and the dead. When I come back, do you want to be clinging to the seat? Do you really want to tell me, you know, what I want 
is not having you to be my Lord and my God? Jesus said, you don't want that. For the sake of the law, for the sake of eternity, don't, don't, don't be that stubborn. Don't let your own opinion get in the way of the eternal happiness that I want to give you. But the second reason I think is even better. It's not just because of the law, it's because of his, his love. If there's one thing that can change your mind, that can get you to bow the knee and submit to Jesus, even when he seems crazy, it's his love. I think about my daughter. A couple weeks ago, I took my eldest daughter, Brooklyn, on a, a daddy-daughter date. And I took a few pictures to show you. We, uh, we put in our sweats and we pumped up an old basketball and we went to the park. We parked the van and we, we ran to like the best chocolate shop in town. And, and we raced and ran a, a half mile together. You know, first one to touch that big chocolate bar gets the first bite. And we, we gorged on the free samples and we actually ordered our own, like, make your own customized chocolate bar. Well, Brooklyn, what do we have? We had dark chocolate and caramel and sea salt and Oreos and extra caramel. <laughs> and we packaged it up and we ran back to the van and I got in the driver's seat and she buckled in away in the back. And do you know who drove the whole way home? Do you know who decided every street, every turn? Do you know who sat in the driver's seat with all authority? Me. And do you know the expression I saw on her face when she sat in the back seat under my authority? She smiled. Why? Because the one who got the last word about our journey was the guy who loved her. So I got to ask, what, what do you know about Jesus? Is he just a, a guy who wants to crush you with his authority? I'm God, you're not, deal with it. Now, there's this great passage Jesus said. Let, let me show you one more passage today. He said in John chapter 10, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from, from my Father. Three days after the conflict, he, he came in front of those same men, the Jewish Supreme Court, except this time there was no judo flip. This time there was no miracle. Jesus just sat there and he took it. He was ripped off of his throne and nailed to a cross. Do you know why? So that you could be loved for all of eternity. So God's love would be so deep and so high and so strong that we would never get to the bottom of it. So that no matter what mess you brought into this church today, no matter what addiction and, and what struggle, no matter how many times you've doubted God or questioned God, that because of Jesus Christ, God's not holding it over your head. Instead, there is this amazing grace, there is this unconditional love that you and I can say, God doesn't just put up with us. God, God loves us. The God of heaven and earth delights in us. Out of all the people on planet earth, he chose to accept and approve of me. That's what Jesus did and that's why he did it. And so are there things I don't get all the time? Are there times that I want to say, Jesus, really? All the time. But then I remember the Jesus I'm talking to, and you should too. A God who gave up everything so that you could have everything. And so we as a church saying, I'll follow you, Jesus. If I have to give up what I think is right, if I have to step off of this seat, because with you there is joy everlasting and there's freedom for my soul. Listen, you, you might have questions and you might have doubts, but here's what I can tell you. Get to know Jesus. 
Because when you find out that he is the source of, of life and joy and peace and happiness, you'll give up everything for him, even the last word. So sit in the back seat and enjoy the ride. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, if, if, we don't, if we don't see the expression on your face and the scars in your hands, the things of this life will seem so much better. And so we ask you today for, for faith, that you would send the Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we could grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love that you have for us right now. God, some of us have struggled with sexual sin and some of us with bitter hearts. Some of us have ta taught and believed false things. Some of us have strayed from you and pursued the things of this life. And yet, and yet what you did is so sufficient. Your grace is amazing and it saves wretches like us. And so we are so grateful, God, and we want that gospel to overwhelm our hearts. I pray especially, Heavenly Father, for those here who are doubting, who struggle with what you taught about marriage or divorce or creation or forgiveness. I pray, God, that you would help them to see that you're, you're okay with the doubts. And we don't have to figure that out to approach you and to follow you. And in your presence, we will find something that's so much bigger than our questions. Give us that kind of faith, God, that we could stand by every single word that you taught, that we could be a faithful church and a faithful people that does not give in to culture but believes you're God and you're good. And so we pray for that kind of faith, that it would be among us and in us and you'd work powerfully through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people who agreed joined their voices and they said, Amen. Amen. Are you like Moses and think that God can't use you? That you're too ordinary? But that's why our God is so amazing. Even if you're quite ordinary, God's extraordinary is always at work. He's doing supernatural things throughout our natural days. Just like what Pastor Mike shared in today's message, you have extraordinary inside of you that comes straight from God. And he wants you to put those gifts to use in your everyday life. But how are we supposed to do that? We can help you discover your spiritual gifts with our newest book, Gifted for More, by Dr. Bruce Becker from our Time of Grace team. This engaging study shows you how to discover your own giftedness and put those abilities into action for God's glory. Because in Christ, you've been uniquely equipped with spiritual gifts to help you build up the church and fulfill God's purposes. Gifted for More is our way of thanking you for your generous support. And right now when you give, we'll also send you the book Chosen for More by Time of Grace author and podcaster Amber Albee Swenson to encourage you in the special role you have to play in God's story. Request your two resources today when you give by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201, or text TIME to 313131 to give today. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks for listening today. You made it this far into the podcast, so I know you didn't entirely hate it. <laughs> and hopefully you enjoyed it a lot. There's actually something else I think you'd really enjoy, and it's our latest podcast from my friend C.L. Whiteside. Uh, I could gush about C.L. and his gifts and the message he's bringing to the Time of Grace community but instead, I'm going to let CL tell you in his own words what his podcast is all about. This is CL Whiteside, 
and you are listening to The Non-Microwave Truth. Why the title The Non-Microwave Truth? When you just think about a microwave, what's the purpose of it? To speed things up, to be easy, to be convenient. But the truth, is that something that should always be sped up? Join me as we search for The Non-Microwave Truths. Search The Non-Microwave Truth on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.